This is Artwork Play, a podcast for paper socialists with deadline-based arts practices. So last week we were talking to Thomas McKechnie, um, uh, who is a, a, a bicycle courier for Fudora in Toronto. And then today, uh, all day long, was the end of the, the hearing to determine whether or not the Fudora workers are actually employees of um, the Fudora Corporation. And if they are employees, whether or not they can form a union will be determined later on. Uh, ben, you attended the the march, uh, which was at noon in support of the Foodsters, uh, as well as you were there with Thomas uh, at the hearing. What's you, you got the boots on the ground. What do you have to report? I mean, it, it essentially it was, as Thomas said, it was it was heartening to see the folks uh like uh gathered there was people there from 15 and fairness people there from the iww uh people there from uh cup w uh a number of unions had gathered it's i mean it's a little dismal because it isn't it wasn't a huge group but uh aspirations were running high hope was running high um two things that i thought were interesting thing one was apparently as recently as the beginning of this week or uh Early last week, I couldn't get a straight answer from anybody who I spoke to, but Uber is, is, uh, put, has voted to unionize. And evidently, um, uh, Uber is going to be uh, uh, waiting on the results from the, the Labor Relations Board hearing that uh, Thomas was a part of. Um, so that, that, would be, that would be pretty big if... Uh, you know, Uber along with Uber Eats and Uber Black and uh, Fudora all came to unionize at the same time. The other thing that I thought was interesting about the event, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of predictable that people are going to be very, very hopeful. Uh, after I was talking to uh, my uh, union negotiator and steward at the college, and she was also kind of like, it's almost like the hope comes with the job about our upcoming uh, collective bargain uh, a year down the road, but they're, they're beginning to plan. The, the, the rally was about to, to, to be finished. And then Thomas was like, well, we got to sing Solidarity Forever. And so he got up in front of everybody and they had like a little, they had like a little amp and a little microphone and he led... Uh the the group through solidarity forever which was awesome because he was the only one who knew the verses and everybody else knew <laughs> the, the chorus one of the, <laughs> one of the most depressing parts was like there was like maybe there's lots of people taking pictures there's there's news media there from the university and um and uh, maybe a couple other outlets although i didn't catch their their names uh, but I mean, it was, it felt like it was getting media attention, even if it wasn't very big, but then there was like a group of like five cops who would come and make sure that the, that the demonstrators weren't taking up too much room on the sidewalk. <laughs> it's wow. Like, wow. It's just brutal. <laughs> and then the, the, the Thomas didn't, uh, overstate the tedium of the, of the, of the hearing. It's, it, yeah, it's uh, a taupe and beige room with a bunch of taupe and beige chairs and uh, people who seem physically incapable of delivering dialogue and anything but a monotone. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting there how the 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 way that the legal system is not constructed to support workers is even manifested in just this sort of like crushing, crushingly boring legalese that is applied that the struggle needs to be like filtered and mediated through as a way to further dissipate the sort of like potentially revolutionary fervor <laughs> well, <laughs> like, this that is just drowned out in this, this in, in a wave of beige topeness. It's not just the institutional base to base topeness. Uh, it's also, as you say, that this this strategy, this technique of dragging things out to kind of like, so, it, as if it is necessarily constitutional for union organizers, labor organizers, to to body forth this hope, 
uh, it seems uh, too to be like the constant form of management reprisal to to like just stretch it out as long as possible whether it's uh counting votes or getting results like even so like even with this um with this uh recent uber bid now they're gonna wait the month or two months that thomas described to hear what it what the the result is for this case because it will be precedent setting one way or the other in the meantime all that organizational effort that's been built up by these people who are precariously employed, whose frustrations they're experiencing now, and who also are taking risks to, like, be organized, to speak back to their bosses, to kind of, like, expose themselves to that scrutiny. Well, they're just going to have to wait those two months before things even get rolling. <laughs> so it's, it's, the, it's the institutional Bayesianness, it's the stretching things out, and then, those, and then these bureaucratic practices, which are the result of the RAND formula, uh, per, consistently isolate uh, the, the, the people who are involved in them. And that could be like the little group of protesters who are, who are being like, oh, like, uh, we're the 60 people who could take time off work to come stand out in front of the Labor Relations Board. Or it's the people who, uh, in their workplaces, file grievances because they're bold enough to say something and are themselves isolated by the institutions, chucked into these um, small beige rooms and having their grievances heard out some, like, you know, months and months and months after whatever it is that took place that they didn't want to see happen. So it, the, 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 the rules of the game really, really don't benefit the people who are trying to change them. <laughs> All of the 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 very mechanic of rules themselves in this game um, were designed to sap the power of labor, like uh, and have been sort of a feature of the system um, post the sort of like gains that were able to be made after the twenties uh, to by by making like. I don't know, Wildcat strikes illegal or Solidarity strikes yep. illegal. Yep. Uh, th those are all legal systems, bureaucratic systems, con contract-based systems uh, that none of them exist in the name of the workers. <laughs> no. It, it not just that not just subsequent to the twenties, but specifically due to the due to the the post war compact, the, the post war comp compromise when the Rand formula comes to be introduced. It's this, these are when all these bureaucratic strictures are formally introduced. Um, there's also uh, pretty interesting stuff happening in Regina where we are right now yeah. at the co-op plant um, uh, where there's been a strike going on since uh, December. This week's caveat. In fact, it's not a strike going on at the co-op refinery. It's a lockout to which Unifor has responded with blockades. What's the co-op um, plant? Uh, it's a refi oil refinery. Okay, um, okay. And yeah, and so the brand, yeah, the brand co-op. It's marketed to farmers. I, for some reason, I associate it with like like small town uh, farm yeah. supply stores. I don't know why. I, yeah, it could be that there's the the exact logo that I'm thinking of. I've seen that's like the co-op logo that is on the refinery and is on the gas stations and on some yeah. grocery stores as well out here. I think it also does exist in, and we yeah, have like, a, we have a bag that I think we got from you that we, I, yeah. that I remember you specifically asked for back that <laughs> we have here right now. Um, and it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a green co-op bag. <laughs> well, I, yeah. yeah, it's a small town grocery store in Nova Scotia. I know as well. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But it's this sort of like multi like, uh, it's a it's a large corporation that is also a cooperative, <laughs> meaning that it is nominally owned by its members, uh, whether the members are the employees or the uh, the customers who you can pay like whatever, mm -hmm. like five dollars to have a, a year membership. Um, and they the the workers have been 
the workers have been actually uh, on the picket lines since December, freezing cold weather here. Yeah, in remember how it's like hurts to breathe. Yeah, it's <laughs> when you go outside, and um, it's sort of been it's been mount like. In the city, you can feel the tension. Like all the the billboards are are allayed for either side. Um, like the the union bought some some uh, ad space to advertise for the fact that the company is trying to take away their pensions. Um, the company is in turn mounting an, a, a propaganda campaign uh, about the fact that they are on the bargaining table. They are offering an 11% raise. Something like that. Yeah, like about 11.3 something, I believe. Uh, spread out over a couple of years. And so just in conversation with people when we've brought up the strike, that's what they mentioned. Like literally have talked to people who say, well, yeah, it's it's like it's too bad but like i mean that's a pretty good raise but they're literally trying to claw away their pensions and i think some benefits as well uh so uh they've been outside of the ref the refinery um the 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 corporation the owners have been <laughs> spending millions of dollars to fly scab workers from the airport to the refinery itself. Um, there's been gross. reports of accidents. By helicopter. By they helicopter? fly them by helicopter. So, so we were driving, um, we were just driving outside the city this weekend and we see all these helicopters. I've been noticing, I knew noticed the the uh, the helicopters before I, uh, I knew the whole story, but there's just like, there's so, yeah, there's just these helicopters that are flying constantly, double doubling back from the airport to the refinery. And I mean, it's not like the, ma it's not a massive distance, but uh, I mean- But, but they, they need to yeah. fly in order to overcome the picket lines. Yeah. Um, the, the so the the cops have been trying to crack down the past week on the there's been um, the like not only obviously the owners of the uh, the the refinery the, the bosses would be pressuring the cops but not, then also the trucking company um, they're they're so uh, talking a more like it, this is related to talking about like the way that. Uh, uh, legalism and bureaucracy hampers like the the workers movement. Um, there was a rule on their book, the books of their. I don't know how you apply rules to uh, striking workers, but a rule that they had to follow was they couldn't make any truck wait for longer than five minutes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> any truck that was going into the refinery to pick up oil and then ship out again. Um, and the workers were actually starting to break that rule with the like acknowledging the fact that this they can't actually like the the corporation is not playing on a level of playing field in any way when they're a willing and able to spend like a billion dollars to fly scabs and helicopters um uh but but the workers would get a hundred thousand dollar fine if they if they stop trucks for too long so they have been tr stopping trucks for longer than they're allowed to and then the trucking company has complained to the to the uh, Regina police to like interfere with this. And actually just uh, last night, they were the, the cops were threatening tear gas on the protesters, but were talked down by um, some, uh, some of the, 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 so the union is Unifor, which is- uh, And their president uh, has been arrested out there, like symbolically, yeah, that's what Diaz, I, Jerry Diaz, yes. I think his name is here. Yeah. yeah, here in Regina, right? That's yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 And so the, the, there is leadership from Unifor there who are able to talk the cops down from, uh, from removing. So also the workers, and this is awesome, they barricade, they built some sort of fence around the office that management works in <laughs> to like barricade awesome. them out of their work. And there's so sort of contra, interesting contrast with what you were saying is sort of uh, Somewhat like, although like the the efforts of the people who are involved in the Fudora, um, uh, in the Fudora organizing is like very impressive and inspiring. They're not already part of a union, so they don't have the like solidarity possibilities yeah. that the Unifor folks have here, where they're actually flying people in from. They're flying people in from from the Ontario. Clout. They don't have the organized power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's and there's people coming in from all over the country to um, participate in the picket line here. Uh, but so, you had like, an interesting you point about the 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 uh, advertising budgets and the optics and kind of like also the reception there around how it was kind of like an optics war going on between. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, yeah. There's certainly been like we've just over the past few months the sort of union advertising and then the 
subsequent anti-union advertising that's been going up all around town has been more and more intense. Well, the um, media... the anti, anti-union stuff's become more intense. And the only way that the media knows how to talk about it is mm-hmm. to talk about it as a PR war and mm-hmm. who has public support and who doesn't have public support. Like, the and the, the idea being that you have a certain amount of, like, political capital to spend uh, before you've worn out your welcome in the strike and then you have to give up. Uh, but in reality, it's, it's a matter of the workers applying pressure by um by uh relinqu- by not doing labor and and that is the only way that we as not being corporations have to exert any political power in this syst- in the like so-called democracy that we live in uh so to f- the fact that the media frames it in the way where it's this like sort of battle of public opinion uh just shows that's what they're like allegiances are already in that framing the uh the it's the union is already put at a d- disadvantage what, like here for instance um ctv ctv is um uh uh like a 24-hour news channel they have like little um snippets of stories going all the time they have like a news ticker and the weather and all that it's it's that sort of channel you know the one with the very the, the style with the very busy screen and they're always reporting oh I, i'm very familiar it's yeah i'm very familiar it's a very, with this it's a, like if you read the ticker it's sort of a conservative it reports things in a conservative sort of lens or a centrist to rightist sort of lens but they interestingly do have i should learn her name there's one reporter in particular who does report labor disputes uh in a way that i that i would think of as favorable um i've i've often got the impression that uh, out west there's very, very little patience for that. But, um, for instance, what you're saying about the 11% increase, it's funny, um, like, what is what is um, inflation these days? Like, 11% just would be barely more than inflation over the course yeah, of, a, right. of a contract. But, okay, so it's still a good contract because a lot of uh, people don't get that. But they would specifically bump the, the pay because that is going to be the media talking point. The politicians will come out and talk about the bump in pay. The, um, the, the managers can come out and talk about the bump in pay. And nobody's going to talk about the more complicated things which have to do with uh, uh, the, the, the clawbacks. Or, or, yeah, even more, like a, another layer of, uh, of abstraction, another layer of complexity who has power. It's the, it's the sort of same like anti-solidarity thing that happens with like the teacher strikes where it's like attacking like the teachers uh, like, oh, you already have like the summer off. Like, why are you complaining for this or that? Like they th- those are sort of the things that I heard when uh, like when my father was on strike a long time ago as a teacher uh, or like I can't rem- I, I, I wasn't participating in the strike that you were having. But like those sort of anti-solidarity tactics like by the media. Uh, it's very easy to like feel jealous of someone who's getting offered a raise yeah. <laughs> when you are not, and you're you are also struggling. Which is just fucked because the the whole like it should be yeah go ahead get more money like go ahead earn more this whole abstract notion like these are my tax paying dollars uh, I like you're you're stealing from me well it's not a quite one to one thing and generally speaking. Like if the bar is raised for one person, it can be raised for others. If it's to, if we're talking about a sort of like entire strata of uh, a cultural ecology, like for instance, teachers. Yeah, it's so true. It's like the more employers that we force to pay us more than other people's employers in order to compete, we'll have to pay them more as as well. Yeah. There's this really specific way that these conversations have been framed for definitely the entirety of our lifetimes. But it's so there's a lot of other ways to frame it that are it's not even like a, a intellectual challenge to do so. It's just so outside of the uh, of the of the Tina. There is no alternative mindset that um, uh, yeah just doesn't occur to you until you until you encounter. Um, I don't know, until you see what, like, labor actually looks like or what, like, labor, what sort of, just getting a glimpse of what labor exerting power would would theoretically look like. Power. uh, What would, 
exerting power. What? How do we? How, what are the ways that we get to exert power if we have no labor? <laughs> power is labor. Uh, do we uh, maybe uh, 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 get to play some video games and about this? Segway. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that uh, a lot of people, a lot of video game consumers, seek the sort of sort of like the power that could have previous in previous generations be sought through labor activism they they look for it in like consumer power in being able to like exert their um agency uh by complaining as a consumer um getting people fired uh <laughs> or getting sorry yeah getting devs fired for saying uh certain things on on twitter uh be because they're the consumers of the game and the consumers come i think that like just on a consumer level video games are already about power um but and also like the way that on a consumer level yes and then also in a lot of the ways that you participate in them just on the base interaction of how you like function through video games is uh through like uh achievements that you uh collect and are applauded for and get little badges for and uh uh, you know that if you're if you're you know if your life is maybe like not uh, just a really easily mapped out uh, line per, per line of achievements being uh, populated and achieved, uh, then uh, uh, it, it, it might feel good. It might feel good to get that reward. <laughs> There's another species of power that the, the Carl Ove Knausgaard, who's like been. Uh, who kind of uh, came to fame or notoriety through his like multi-tome, uh, uh, I guess, uh, auto fiction, uh, My Struggle. He has this, the, he, he talks about his young daughters and how they play video games or they work on their iPads all the time. And he's, and he's taught, and he has this experience of nature and how it kind of, offers him something dense but in but um ineffable and he says that his daughters who grow up in relationship to ipads where they're where they are able to make decisions and choices and everything responds to them and everything offers them an answer and, and the meaning is so clear he, he says uh whatever nature affords him is is not afforded to his daughters. And he doesn't say it in a sort of superior way. In fact, he seems to be suggesting that the daughters have some edge in that and everything always having a meaning or everything always uh, responding to their interactions. And I think in a gentler way, he's talking precisely about this location of power in the audience as video game user. Yeah, it's the total, I mean, it's like, it's, other people have talked about it as like the total subjectification of everything when when everything like and you we you can think of this even more specifically with the internet of things where everything around us exists to respond to our desires uh, or preempt our desires even if you're thinking like algorithmic recommendations um, where there is the the subject is projected onto the the outside world and everything around you exists to serve your subject. Whereas nature, of course, is the object. It's like the sublime. It's the thing that uh, is completely other to you and, and, and your subject exists within. Video games even more so create a virtual world that can orient itself um, 360 degrees around the central player point. It has the Very auspices or aspect of nature, but is not that mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. In video games? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole... This is why people are so tempted to call it immersive. Mm. When really it's more projecting yourself into a <laughs> virtual environment. There's no... Although, like games have games will have an object as in a goal to them they are only responding to your subjective inputs into them oh yeah totally um the our playthrough today 
is uh, my video game that I just finished by me. It's called <laughs> Tower Fantasy. And it's really pretty. Yeah, its looks are definitely the best part. Um, I'll show you here. Wait, let me switch. I'll show you. I, I did. I did the. I did the looks. I yeah, Cat did all the looks. She's I got did the, the best looks. part. <laughs> um, it's it's a game that I started programming. Um, you wanted uh, two to do years ago, like a first-person shooter sort of experiment. Yeah, I was just following a tutorial for how to build multiplayer first-person shooters. Which are, of course, like the genre people tend to think of when they think video games. Yes. Um, and I was following some YouTube tutorials and then did this, uh, made this as a way to digest those YouTube tutorials. Uh, and then also at the same time was looking at tutorials on how to um, create uh, procedurally generated terrain. So that's a terrain that is created by a very, a terrain as in like a landscape that's created by a very simple uh, algorithm um, using something called Perlin noise. Um, the beautiful, per, beautiful phrase. Per, Perlin noise, it was invent is a type of noise <laughs> that was uh, named after this guy that um, currently at MIT. Yeah, who who works maybe, or I think in New off. York. Oh, um, <coughs> at a New York school, only because our mine and kale's professor in art school um, uh, knows knew him. Yeah, I and think she introduced me to him. I, I believe we met at the MIT Media Lab. <laughs> Oh, yeah, when you were visiting was, the MIT yeah. Media Lab. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. right. That's what I was thinking of. Because I never actually met him, but I remember there was some, like, impetus to me. Yeah, I really didn't impress him very much. But <laughs> Well, you should. If only you had had my uh, terrain generations, which is terrain generation is the most basic thing that you can do with Perlin noise. Perlin noise is sort of like this. Uh, it creates a distribution of noise that has the looks of peaks and valleys because you'll what you'll do is you'll have one section of noise um, that will have another section of noise next to it that has some relationship to one another. Like, whereas if you have pure static, it's just random chaos. Each pixel is has no relationship to the pixels around it. Perlin noise, you get these nice patterns that you can make look like terrain. I sort of combined these two tutorials, one on how to make procedurally generated landscapes, another one on how to make first-person shooters into a game where you would be a shooter that occurred across um, procedurally generated landscapes. And it's multiplayer as well. It's not it's, it's not just a solo experience. Yes, it's a local area network. And then this is a desktop game? Yeah, it's on, uh, yeah, it's on um, uh, Mac and PC. Um, so it has mute. So we all had a little hand in this. Uh, uh, ben helped me out with the music that you're hearing. Um, the music was generated. I helped you with the rec with the with the record more than the. <laughs> well, you all, yeah. I mean, you produced the the stems themselves as well. Um, that so the the music was made. Um, using uh, like a, another basic form of like al algorithmic generation, where I I fed it um, uh, I fed it already existing songs, mostly like um, songs from other video games, and then had it generate <laughs> new music uh, based on those already existing That's songs. It's a very John aesthetic. <laughs> Doing. Yes. What, like doing that, that yeah. way of generating music? Yeah. Well, it's not, it's a way, I, I the the program that I used to do that, I, I had built in the band that Kale and Ben and I uh, playing together called Therapy Font. So like that was, it was using the sort of like musical practice that we developed together. That All was the like music for this episode, by the way, is from that record, which <gasps> can also be got on Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah, also called Tower Fantasy. Um, and and so John, you're playing this game right now, and with first-person shooters, off like you're 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 shooting at a target. In this in this game, you're shooting at these like towers that are also shooting back at you. What is, what, the tower has kind of like a lighthouse feel. 
the terrain. Yeah. The terrain, like I, the aesthetic is like the 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 terrain almost looks kind of like like 80s 8-bit, but then the textures are so dense and lush that it like it 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 doesn't quite fit by in that description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, it's got a, a retro feel. aesthetic. It's There's not a retro, retro aesthetic, but not yeah, yeah, not entirely. It's like a it's shadow. Like, it's like a ghostly nostalgia that you can't really point to as a result. Yeah, the other so the other uh, important like thing about it is that um, I it's totally an homage to this uh, Commodore sixty four game. That you um, never that played. I watched on. Uh, <laughs> I watched. Yeah, I never played. I just watched some uh, some uh, YouTube uh, let's plays of it. Awesome. Um, uh, it, that's called the Sentinel. Um, and so in that game was like a really early 3D game where um, you navigated around a landscape that looks a lot that looks like this landscape that I made um, by uh, you had to sort of like. Uh, ingest resources in order to teleport but the whole the whole um way that that mechanic worked was uh or the reason why that that mechanic existed was that um oh no how do i get that thing the reason why that mechanic existed was that the developer had to render out all of the 3d uh environment stuff so he needed the time for you to like in each movement you make you have to uh teleport um, consume some more resources, uh, then teleport again. So each teleportation gave the designer a chance to re-render the landscape from your new viewpoint. So it's like a really early 3D game that that took advantage of, had to design itself in order to be fully 3D rendered like it was. And then- um, The resources are sort of represented as trees yes. and, and different things in the environment. and and. and <laughs> And the the no. sort of the designer, it's like your computer's time needed. The computer itself needed time to render like the next part of the scene. Yeah. Whereas, and so that would be a game that would take like a genius in order to make it, considering the technology of the time. Whereas, like with this game, thanks to the new tools that we have, like Unity 3D, the game engine that I used, uh, a, a basically an amateur like myself, which I was especially an amateur when I started making this two years ago, uh, can make something that is like, uh, uh, can make something a lot more easily than could be done in like 1985. I'm curious about generative, uh, uh, I'm curious about how the generative works in video games. Uh, like I, what was the game where it was? It was kind of like had a colonial funk, um, me not, not mechanic, but there's like this colonial narrative to it, and all the and it would spawn new universe after new universe after new universe indefinitely. Oh yeah, oh, the no man's, no man's land? sky, no man's, no man's sky. sky. Um, Wait, uh, with, yeah, sorry, continue. And it kind of introduced and I, I like sh like. This is predated in music by like Mark Fell, who's also doing generative, uh, like a generative genre of music. But you see it kind of emerging out of, uh, if not the same technologies, out of parallel technologies. Has this fad kind of uh, come and gone for video games, or is it, or are like, because I think. John, I remember you being like really excited about the potential for generativity, and I and I think uh, like I it's easy to understand why. But has this like mm -hmm. has this found its way into like triple A's, or are there interesting artistic examples of it? Or mm -hmm. um, there's a, a, a the genre of uh, games that takes most. Uh, that like it's sort of known for making best use of generative uh, like content is um, are called roguelikes, um, uh, which are quite old. Yeah, it's based on an old mm -hmm. uh, like an eighties form. Roguelikes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're based on a game called Rogue, but uh, not sort of but, like. But not the Rogue where like they specifically are designed to fuck you. Uh, what is that? Do you mean fuck fuck or? <laughs> No, no, no. The games, the, the game type that you described when we were playing Getting Over It, I think you called a rogue, where they're they're specific, um, they're designed quickly and they and they they're like challenging, nigh on impossible to beat. Oh, that's not. I think you're a rogue. The rogue, 
the roguelike games are just generally okay. Oh wait, yes, I think what you're talking about is they have permadeath. That's one thing that's that's uh, common oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from them, and that's what, and that's what makes them so hard. And and so yeah, Bennett Foddy actually is really inspired by. Um, uh, roguelikes in particular there's the one most famous roguelike is uh, this uh, game called Spelunky um, which currently I'm listening to uh, this pod a game that came out 10 years ago but is so influential that it has this like uh, there's this podcast that I've been listening to a lot of called the Spunk Spelunky show like and it's a whole podcast with these like serious um, game designers on it, uh, just who just spend every episode interviewing a different other serious game designer about this game that came out over ten years ago now, <laughs> because it's so influential to it them. But yeah, that, it was a big influence to Bennett Foddy, and it like roguelikes take advantage of procedural generation to make uh, unique levels that are basically supposed to be they're like different every time you play them um, that's one big benefit of them um, but they're also sort of famously um, they have the, like procedural generation in games has this sort of like I don't know uh, uh, it has this cliche for people thinking it might be a panacea for their design uh, needs where true, if you just true. throw throw proceed generation into something then it's like oh I don't need to actually craft any content for this because I can just have the computer do it but the opposite is like actually true because you need even more design in order for you to not like get fucked by like some stupid uh, like things mashing together and like right. actually what's what's even more the problem than that than it being too um, than it being too janky uh, what's even more the thing is what you see in No Man's Sky where everything is different but everything is also pretty much the same <laughs> like <laughs> uh, right. it's just like it. Th there's a, uh, there's a talk on the uh, on YouTube that's like where where this uh, a game designer calls it the like uh, infinite bowls of oatmeal pro problem where it's like <laughs> everything is just sort of this uh, it's it's sort of just like having too um, uh, too much entropy or something in the system where where everything just becomes this like uh, hetero heterogeneous um, uh, mass of, of different content and that's what you see so No Man's Sky is had um, like famously they had they had pre-generated uh, like something like a quadrillion planets and so that's another thing with procedural generation sometimes it functions that oh man I'm getting murked now uh, sometimes it functions in procedural generation that um, uh, things are generated as you play it uh, which is sort of the case for Tower Fantasy in that it is a different level is generated every time you start playing. Uh, but other times, as was the case with No Man's Sky, the whole universe is was generated algorithmically, but before the game was released. And then you have uh, an, a universe with all these uh, like quadrillions of planets, uh, but all those planets already exist out there. It's not like they're being generated live as you explore. And so the problem with that game was, especially when it was first released, that people felt that um, there wasn't a whole lot of meaningful difference in all the procedurally generated. Like each planet has its own life forms, but the life forms are all kind of like just different varieties of limbs, like like slapped together or something like that. It's just not, uh, where, whereas with um, human generated co authored content, um, you, you could say that it's like easier to get meaning out of the systems. With computer generated content, you can have a lot of randomness and a lot of difference, um, but not necessarily a lot of sense and meaning in it. So it's designers still have a job. Just, just as the designer yeah. here, let's just get this straight. Designer is still very much needed, uh, not entirely automated yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Benko. Well, it's funny because uh, I mean, that's a good segue into what I want to talk about. I like, I genuinely think uh, as uh, Spotify in particular, but a lot of these like streaming services. Um, continue to produce a culture of uh, passive listening. I think mm -hmm. like actual creative 
like actual people twiddling knobs for electronic music is going to become less and less important. Mm -hmm. uh, like I, I do think, uh, uh, especially abstract electronic music, it can easily be produced by AI, and and mm -hmm. maybe it's like the lowest hanging fruit in a certain sense. Um, so I do think uh, I do think anyway, uh, electronic musics could be uh, abstract electronic musicians of a certain genre could be put out of work. Um, but I'm surprised that you don't see it deployed to a more aleatoric end, in the sense that there's not like uh, it's not used to produce randomness. Uh, the, the, what did you call it? The infinite bowls of oatmeal quandary. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's. It, I mean, it's not impossible to speculate how that would come about, but it, but randomness or uh, seeming improvisation or surprise, like these, would be things that would be like a genuine innovation for for video games. And it's interesting to see that that hasn't been what has evolved out of uh, well, there's, degenerative. There's a, oh. There's a val there's a certain value that comes out of uh, like the 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 roguelike or the the like ability to, con to continuously surprise your player with something similar that they've similar but new, um, and that's like to add to the replayability of a game, which kind of can add yeah, to like a the big addictive that, quality. That's a big value yeah. that. Um, firms see in procedural generation is replayability because the games that uh, have procedural generation so that's games like um, minecraft uh spelunky like i mentioned the binding of isaac those are games that on steam you see people sinking not just 40 hours but over 500 hours in and that is and it's cheap compared to something like red dead redemption 2 having like hundreds of hours of gameplay but it's much a lot of it is sort of can be scripted they're like some of that is scripted that gameplay, game and that's in particular expensive. requiring uh yes. thousands of hundreds of thousands of hours of, of like cr overworked crunch time from its employees in order to produce that amount of content with a procedural generate procedurally generated thing you'd need much less uh labor potentially mm -hmm. But it could still have that. You could still sink those numbers of hours because the user is still engaging. It's engaging with another bowl of oatmeal, but it's like a slightly new bowl of oatmeal, I guess, <laughs> that they're still excited for. <laughs> and um, but they know how to eat oatmeal. They have no teeth. I don't know in this <laughs> well, analogy. <laughs> one of the fuck yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was just thinking like, man, that's so depressing. It's so depressing that like a game produces like the desire to grind if it's like only if it's only like the whiff of something new if it's only like vaguely different like something genuinely surprising like doesn't produce an audience and then you're like yeah yeah i mean the oatmeal analogy let's just keep stretching it because obviously the consumers have no teeth <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean because it you really uh like with a. Uh... You're relying on the skill set. I think that's kind of some of the random, how randomness can't be uh, employed or for maybe why people think randomness can't be employed. is like, oh, you have these expectations in these types of games uh, where you learn to do one thing and then you do it again. And if you master the math, if you master that one thing or those set of things, then that's the appeal is being able to continue uh, doing that one doing those things and being successful at it and having like limitless content um of of mastery of like popping heads or something <laughs> yeah 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 totally and like there's a sort of argument in or there's a a, a broy sort of perspective in games where like video games should be all about mastery mm -hmm. and this is sort of the crux of the power fantasy where it's like video games should be about being able to master this system and um and then be able to just like execute that mastery over the system in a way that like especially if it's like pre procedurally generated lets you like continually encounter these novel situations that lets you practice that mastery that you've developed uh in ways that that are, you could only otherwise really do in like multiplayer games like Counter-Strike, like we played with uh, Kale a while ago. Um, but uh, the other good thing that, uh, besides like, the other thing that like 
corporations really especially are turning to procedurally generated content as being good for besides just replayability is uh, streaming twitch streaming especially um, there's right. a way that procedurally generated content because it produces these very chaotic um, emergent the best stuff the best procedure generated content is emergent as well like in the situations that it creates because of that it makes it sort of becomes a good performance platform for streamers right. mm -hmm. and well, streamers if you can athletic. tap into yes, athletic yeah. yes um if you can tap into streamers you tap into a, a huge huge audiences it's it's free can be free advertising so but, it's a very good strategy yeah um but not not only are you like yeah you well you you have to it's sort of like you have to tap into streamers audiences in this day and age but uh in order to for your game to get big you have to mark mm -hmm. it is recommended that you market to streamers to some degree but the other side of that is that like more and more people don't actually have time to play video games and video games are just becoming this thing that is more meant for just for uh this sort of like weird thing marketed to people who have an audience this being the streamers and a skill set a very specific skill set which is basically them being a performer mm -hmm. in well, front performer of performer and professional <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah totally. it's a, or it's a craft yeah uh and and the the like procedurally generated content games um they provide a lot more content for the streamer uh and and uh, to uh to play for their audiences as well as then if it's uh especially the besides being athletic like you said ben uh the best like procedure generated content games will also be able to sort of like be be these sort of narrative tools that the streamer can like tell stories with in a way um uh by like having all these kooky crazy situations sort of emergently ha emergently happening by these different systems interacting with one another hmm. oh, can we play room world sometime uh, <laughs> this is really making me want to play room world <laughs> i feel like with this game well do you, do you guys either of you remember the uh the reading that art and labor did uh about uh, punchline art, the conceptual turn subsequent to Marcel Duchamp. Um, no, I've heard. I remember hearing them talk about it once. But yeah, go on. I feel like what I wish for this game is that there was no concept to it, and but at the same time there was some impulse in players to explore because I feel like some of the mysteries around the towers and the and the power ups. Uh, uh, the, the navigation. Th this game to me is kind of. Um, ugh, I'm gapping on now. What's the name of the 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 that beautiful walking sim that's kind of eight bit with the excellent uh, score? Yeah, yeah, uh, Proteus. It, it 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 kind of makes me. It's kind of like a more martial Proteus or something like that. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, calling it martial. It's funny because the the. Even just the music is very warlike, I find, or like battle the snares and sort of things. Yeah. Well, the big difference between the the sound on this and and Proteus is that, like, I I, I quite like the music on this, uh, and I don't say that out of bias. I had no hand in composing it. Uh, yeah. There's no sound design, and Proteus, a lot of the composition mo uh, emerges out of the sound design. Right. So, so sound of, design. As in, like, different sounds being triggered based on what you're doing. Yeah, and uh, people get yeah. really excited about the spatialization of the sound in uh, Proteus. Like, uh, yes. there's, like, a, there's like even, like, installations that use uh, similar softwares as the spatialization in Proteus. Um, spatialization is when, like, sound is spatially located. Uh, so, like, as you move closer or farther away from different things in this other game we're talking about, Proteus, uh, the soundscape that you're... Yeah, or, like, leaves, uh, like, blossoms fall from a tree and they have, they have, they tinkle out a specific melody or, like, these little peahens scamper, uh, it, you know off to, to the right up a hill and and, the, and and it's all kind of like located and but it also merges in and out of the um 
the harmony or the or the, the the melodic theme of the score and it's 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 very satisfying. Something I wanted to ask you about this, John, is I remember this game, you produced it in a, in a kind of like explosion of kind of like mini games as, a, as like a, 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 maybe I'm just like assuming this position in the podcast, uh, um, like locating myself in the lore of music, um, which I have no more right to than uh, you do, uh, but uh <laughs> The I, I I you went through this kind of like burst of creative energy, like making all these little game experiments, and then you chose to bring this one to completion. I, I was wondering if you like could talk a little bit about a uh, uh, those experiments and where you were going with yeah. those, and b why you chose to like basically share out this one when it could have been any number of things yeah and uh, yeah because like one of a lot in the like in the game dev uh communicate community um uh a lot sort of a lot of not a lot of stock is put on the ideas um so for for ideas sake um the the advice is always in game dev in commercial game dev communities especially to think of like what market you're trying to deliver to and to try to find a market that is somehow underserved i mean basic business advice right um so i definitely wasn't really thinking about that when i was deciding to focus on this project (laughs) um well you uh, were learning yeah when i first started i like impetus to create a bunch of different games is the ability to learn and experiment and I think that's what you were doing as well yeah totally and then I I sort of picked it up uh like two months ago now and wanted to finish it just because um you found it on the hard drive didn't you yeah yeah I found it on the hard on when I was I was backing up some hard drives and found it there and then was sort of compelled by it when I started playing it again, just like enjoying the aesthetics of it. Um, enjoying that it is a very video gamey video game. Um, uh, but, and and just sort of wanting to complete it beca- because it seemed like it would be easy to complete when I, when I saw it, even though it still takes then like two months <laughs> to get it out the door. Like everything in programming, especially Art and I mean, it's just true of anything you do. It takes like three times longer than you think it's going to take. Um, but I also wanted to sort of like do finish this as a like as something to have online um, to practice the like to to put more practice into putting stuff out there and finishing things, which is a really hard thing to do, especially in video games. Finishing Going through them. The, all the like the release channels and like yeah, doing it, that, getting used to that. Just practicing things like even like practicing vulgar things like like marketing or something. Practicing like talking how to how to learn how to talk about your game or figure out a voice for your game. And for this game, I like um. This was a game that uh, we, I really just produced, like like I said, out of a learning experience. And um, it wasn't so much, some, it wasn't something that we came up with together, which is how we come up with a lot of other ideas now is by uh, um, talking about them uh, with one another or having some sort of like issue that we are interested in exploring. Um, this game is more so is more formal, I would call it like a formal experiment. Uh, and I actually found it sort of like harder to, to figure out how to talk about it. Like when I was just just in trying to do like tweets about it, for example, or then I tried to email a couple of like press people a- about it just to see how that how that went. Um, uh, and it was just hard because there's not a good story to the game as it were like in marketing you're always have to like supposed to think of the sort of like extrinsic story to your product and um i was thinking about our the last game we released last year uh gigco 
escape the gig economy, which had a really nice uh, story to it that is sort of extrinsic to the game itself because it is about these like wider uh, social political trends. But I don't that think you can that's an to. accident. Like I think Cat was very no. aware of it as. Like it, like as like it began as her bodying forth a concept, and then with yeah, you, it exists it, as one would with any artwork, really. You know, no, um, no, I totally disagree. <laughs> it's just a different approach to art, like, and the that's why I brought up that. <laughs> what is that? Oh, nothing, nothing. <laughs> it's, Go it's, for it. It's like um, it was like that's why I brought up that other article, like the the about this turn toward conceptual art. Um, I think it works particularly well with Gigco because Gigco makes an illustration and then marketing wise we did have a lot of success with that precisely as a result of its being oriented towards story. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I think with this game the, the, like there's evidence of an experiment there's evidence of experimentation uh, and then and and maybe it, it wasn't so oriented uh, toward concept at the beginning. Uh, but, no, no, but, 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 no. but you're saying like, look, bang, I, like, I like to play it. I like to walk around. So it's an aesthetic yeah. thing instead of a conceptual thing. But I don't think yeah, one yeah, is yeah. better than the other. And formally, like you're, you're, you're hitting certain like game, you're, you're using part, the parts of games that people expect people look forward to and enjoy like the power-ups and that and there's some sort of there's some there is a, a some sort of commentary on it i believe like you've jonathan has got there's audio playing from the towers that's like adapted from a, some text that jonathan's wrote on the like as musings on the development of game development or something. <laughs> the towers sort of represent me, I guess, and because they talk to you in my words about the saying the sort of same like navel gazing things that I've that I've been saying here about um, like why make a game that's just a game and it being influenced by the '80s game and. Um, but then you can once you shoot the towers, they they stop talking at you. Thanks. So shut up. Just uh, shut up. No, I think I think you just got to go in like the Hito sterile direction, and like you're like you're still doing. This got cut from a previous episode, but I think you're still doing kind of like the '90s musician thing, where you're like here's a record I did or whatever. But yeah. it, but it could but it could you could easily be like oh this is my video game essay. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That's what I. That's what I was trying to do, but literally, this game doesn't have an. It, it. There's just no good like conceptual framing for it. It is pretty much pure experimentation. <laughs> <laughs> I. I. Yeah. I. I think there were had Jonathan had floated some ideas past me uh, earlier before inputting like a the, the t kind of his dev devlog like text into the towers. And I, and I sort of rejected it on the basis of like, oh, but like, don't try to slap, like this is it's all, this is something. Um, it can be something without having like a broader meaning uh, or like trying to find a story that ex that is m maybe more focused on like what we usually address in our arts practices. Um, just cause, cause it, it is, there is something to it. But maybe the clever thing that, um the Gigco, like maybe the clever thing about Gigco and and you're initiating it, Cat, is that? Oh yeah, it, it's my project, Gigco. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but just... I mean, it's is that uh, video games are like more inherently tied to the market than uh, other forms, like at all. Uh, all mainstream art is tied to the market, but I do think we can talk about. Uh, genres being more or less tied to uh, marketability, and this mm -hmm. this notion of the story of the game, I it's familiar to me with marketing records, right? It's the yeah. same thing. Like you have to have a story. You got to be able to sell it to the journalists, mm -hmm. basically. It, well, you got to write. Yeah. You have to write their headline, yes. almost yeah. like that's what Gigco. No, that's yeah. what Gigco was really uh, like good at. When when thinking of G 
Gig Co. It's like, okay, well, what would this t- the title of the 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 article be about this? And 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 literally, that was kind of what we would walk in with when we were like ask, talk talking about it. It's like it's a video game about auto- like where you fight automation or like you know like the I mean the, it was much broader than that. But that was like the title that was that was used, I think, by other people <laughs> that we kind of so not suggested but like with the game the design of the game itself it led itself to being uh like the press title it's there in it yeah yeah i think it's it's like it's crass but it's also a very helpful design exercise yeah, <laughs> to true. think in terms of headlines mm-hmm. for your projects mm-hmm. it does i mean it it doesn't have to be crass it can I don't think I, it it's certainly falls yeah. it certainly oh, can sorry. fall into I, you know what i mean though like vulgar i guess yeah would be a better word than crass well no it's just like it's, if you think marketing is bad and um, marketing can also help people understand it yes yeah so marketing could just be like speaking with uh, designing with an audience in mind yeah <laughs> i hate marketing and i think it's stupid but i don't think it's bad like i think like, it's, <laughs> you know what i mean it's or it's just like a condition that you deal with now i wish mm-hmm, you yeah. didn't but i all you know what i mean <laughs> there's lots of wishes <laughs> i have many wishes i wish for power i wish i was a little bit taller <laughs> i wish it was smaller well, I just think like I think marketability means you get put on more. I just think there's such I, I don't know that that translates to money. Like there's think of all this poor starving influencers. Yeah, absolutely dying influencers. Uh, so you can download this game. I have, a, I have a scoring system that I'm actually pretty excited about for the game. So you can download it and then try to get the high score. Um, the score everyone against everyone in the world who's yes. ever downloaded it. And everyone's doing really badly at the game, which I think is just evidence of my like uh, amateur game designer skills. Or that all of your friends that downloaded your game aren't very good at shooting games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shout out your friend. Shout out your friend who lied to you about how many days he did on Gigco. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard from him about how he's doing on your game? That's fine. I know I yeah, I have to get I think it's just been a bunch of like chilled a couple not many like the platform that I'm using it. Say children. Yeah. The platform that I'm that I'm it's on itch.io. Um there I wasn't getting any buzz, like any downloads from it. Naughty, because like you can't convince like people in our audience, you can't convince them to download a like a, a desktop game. Like, I think it's a lot easier to ask people like the artists that we know to download a mobile game because they're on their phones yeah. all the time, or rather, something yeah. in browser, yeah. or something if it was in browser. But play. but I get in touch with the guy who runs the platform that are itch.io, and he put it on like this funny like list of uh, fr- it's called like fresh games. Uh, so I huh. get, I did get a pretty, uh, a, I, I get like many, not still not a lot of downloads. <laughs> a boost, you got a boost. Uh, yeah, I think I've gotten like twenty downloads a day for the past couple of days, which was many more than I was getting before, which was like one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they're all just just children because none of them are. They're all doing so poorly in in the game. So down, you can download Tower Fantasy at towerfantasy.app, uh, available for Mac and PC computers. Uh, friend, family friendly. Very friendly. Very friendly. Uh, two player, two player, and solo mode. And you can also download it. Uh, you can also get the record. And yeah. It's always good to keep in mind that a good way to support an artist is to buy their shit. Um, yeah. I've had two people pay for the game so far, which is really awesome. That I mean, I've made eleven dollars so far. It took me. Uh, about a month, a month, two years ago, and then the past two months, sort of working for on it. I've made eleven dollars so far. So, like, bright future ahead, mom, in my game dev career. Uh, I also wanted to do a plug. I, I think of this podcast artwork play as kind of like our quick and dirty uh, podcast, kind of in lieu of our development blog. I also have a more carefully uh, sound designed and composed podcast I did recently. It's called uh, Four Sisters, and it's releasing two Mondays on. If you're interested in hearing more about that, don't uh, turn off the 
podcast before you get to the end because I'm going to tack the trailer uh, onto the end of this. And you can subscribe uh, to the podcast and hear the forthcoming episodes on SoundCloud or uh, on the Apple Podcast app. And if you've listened to this far of our of our podcast, Artwork Play, continue listening to hear the this great trailer for Ben's podcast. Uh, but also, uh, you can r- give us a star rating um, for the sake of our egos. Um, you can give us also give us a written review to up our algorithmic chances of finding new listeners. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and that would be in your podcast app. Well, you have to go, yeah, on Apple. Mostly it matters on Apple. Man, we're bad at self-promotion. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, put it, well, backloaded. Okie dokie, bye. Bye. I know it's like a theater thing, but for listening only, (laughs) for your ears only. Theater of the ears. And here we are, citizens of the skirts. The skirts. It is a marginalized community made up largely of women, created when sex work was criminalized and used to serve as a red light district. When a massive plague hit, the city elites evacuated other impoverished communities to the skirts. While illegal drug trafficking is on the rise everywhere, the city is responding to it by targeting the skirts with police presence. Altercations are arising between this community and the state. I can go first. I'm not scared. That's very brave of you. That's because I'm brave. They are sicker now than they ever were before you showed up. What's happening to me? At least the black swan was clear. This democracy? They take everything. What's the point of loving someone who hurts you? She said death knew her name. Come on, Dee. Come on. The wall. The wall. The wall. A cage for all us animals. Bea! Come back, bird. Four Sisters, a sonic rendering of the final installment of The Empire, the award-winning multimedia trilogy. Subscribe now. Enter The Empire.